Thanks for tuning in to Small Big Wings, a window to the world of young, ambitious problem solvers. They are makers, designers, builders, hackers, scientists who heard their inner voice and amplified it. To learn more about our guest and to view the highlights of this episode, head on over to fbw.hvj.coach. Our guest today is Sheraz Ahmed. Sheraz was born in England and has spent much of his life in Switzerland. He is a multicultural individual with a diverse background and heritage tracing back to India, Pakistan, and Kenya. He is certified with dual international Bachelor of Business Administration degrees. Sheraz started working at a very young age and at 15, he was already the sales manager for Polymanga, which is a large annual convention in Switzerland. He did that for six years. Experienced with an insightful understanding of blockchain technology, Shiraz now advises various startups on the implementation of modern practices to further their objectives. Alongside his current commitments to Katerina, a startup involved in the development of a revolutionary medical software, Shiraz is also an advisor to Jure, which is a leading legal tech startup pursuing the vision of creating a decentralized legal ecosystem. He also advises Yoke Network, the revolutionary influencer-driven marketing platform. Additionally, Shiraz drives growth, collaboration, and integrity across the global blockchain economy through his role as head of business development at the Crypto Valley Association. The second common factor in all these startups, in all these associations which Shiraz has, apart from him, is the factor of blockchain. Furthermore, he has recently been able to combine his passion for both blockchain technology and the medical sector by being selected as a mentor for the Stop COVID-19 Hackathon presented by Consensus Health. Today, with Shiraz, our idea is to help demystify what blockchain is, what are its uses, what is stopping it, and what will help permeate it. A very warm welcome, Shiraz, to you on the Small Big Wins podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And as you speak with me now, where are you? Um, I am currently in Switzerland, Switzerland Montreux. All right. So Sharaf, getting into this straightaway, why don't you share with us how your enthusiasm with blockchain and with crypto started and possibly in the same, if you could also tell us a little bit about how blockchain and crypto are alike and are different. Okay, sure. Um, so it all started for me at, at university. I think university is a time uh, to discover a little bit about yourself and, and, and about uh, what, what you're looking for um, professionally. And I, I had the good fortune of being surrounded by some very, um, very smart people and people that were, were looking into a lot of different sectors. And, and myself in, included, I was thinking, okay, should I go into a traditional sector uh, like, like the banking, consultancy that have been around for many years, but then I was thinking to myself, well, 
I, I don't feel like being a part uh, of a bigger machine, right? Just one gear in, in the whole works of things. And I was like, okay, there are so many innovative technologies like, like big data, um, AI, and then blockchain came along. And a dear friend of mine was actively involved within the blockchain space. He, he had studied it um, prior to, to joining at the university where we were. And we started discussing a little bit about it. And this was um, pre-2017, pre this whole hype that came around. And it was, it was very interesting to see some of the minds that were in there, the creativity, and also the energy that they had. It was, there was such an energy resonating from this new industry that it fit really well with mine as well. Not, not just the, the innovation side, but also the energy that, that was there. So I ended up working within it with him doing some research doing some investment doing some asset management and then this whole hype of um, 2017 came along where everybody was talking about it people were even painting their fingernails with cryptocurrency logos and it was just getting insane and from this i think we were able to gain a lot of interest worldwide and it piqued the interest of a lot of very smart people around the world. So I think then the whole blockchain space developed in, in, into something much more uh, sustainable. And, and, and from that, it's, it's been a great journey ever since. So in terms of the differentiation between blockchain and cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrencies was the first application and use case on, on blockchain technology with the arrival of, of Bitcoin some 10 years ago. So the, the whole industry has, has, has moved on a lot from just the, the currency aspect of this. And then cryptocurrencies is just what's called the, the, the token, the coin that is being transacted on, on blockchain. So even though the actual use case of, of a currency is, isn't always the application, it, it will still be a cryptocurrency that is operating on the blockchain, even if it's a private or a public entity. Right. And... Sharav, you dived into this pretty early on. So mm -hmm. now, do you have a vision of what you want to do with blockchain? So what attracted me the most um, towards this, this technology was the openness, the freedom that it involves in terms of you have the, the ability to do whatever um, you, you want and, and the responsibility that it entails, but you can actually gain ownership of your assets. It's censorship resistant. As a person, do not have to rely on any other intermediaries within the system. And, and I think that's the great part of it, whereby I really dove into the industry, not knowing so much about it, and then seeing all these great use cases. And one in particular that really, really struck me um, as, as a great one for the whole industry was the digitalization um, of assets, whereby you have the ability to buy a percentage of any asset in, in the world, be this uh, a fine art piece like the Mona Lisa um, or a solar panel farm within Africa or, or a big hotel. These assets are, are assets that you're only able to buy into if you have millions, even billions of dollars, euros, whatever that might be. But, but with blockchain technology, the ability to buy a percentage of this was, was just uh, groundbreaking to me. Oh, so you mean to say that with blockchain technology, we could, and if, if it permeates throughout the world, we could buy 
any effort in any proportion which we would want. Exactly. So fractional ownership is, is, is a great use case in my opinion. And have they started somewhere, Shiraz? Um, yes, yes. So there, there are quite a few firms that um, are, are doing this actively at the moment. There are, are some issues when it comes to the regulatory and being able to allow cross-border uh, transactions of this type. But there, there are a few uh, that I started. The first firm that I actually joined within Switzerland was trying to actively do this. And now they, they, they have gradually been able to start uh, doing this thanks to the um, acquisition of some some licenses and some regulatory approval, but there are um, other companies that are, that are going straight ahead. One of the main ones that is being focused on at the moment is, is commodities. So being able to digitalize gold, being able to buy gold um, online in percentages, but now also real estate is becoming a very big one to be able to buy um, a percentage of a studio or apartment in New York, for example, and, and then it's slowly moving on to fine art and other projects. So which is the country, Sheraz, today in terms of adaptation to the blockchain technology? Which are the top few countries which are very open to this? Mm -hmm. So Switzerland is very, very much uh, open to a lot of this innovation. That's why we have uh, something called the Crypto Valley, uh, whereby there are over 500 startups within a small small region um, of, of Switzerland. There is also uh, Malta, the Bahamas, and, and a few other uh, countries that have seen this opportunity coming along uh, with cryptocurrencies, with blockchain technology, and really want to be some of the first movers to, to jump onto this. And so, so you mean that in these countries, uh, Switzerland and some of the other countries you spoke about, there is a regulatory consensus or regulatory openness to change? Oh, very, very much so, very much so. I mean, just with, within Switzerland, for example, the, the, the government and enterprise work very, uh, very closely together. I've never seen a, a country whereby the government is so in, involved in what is happening uh, on, on a day-to-day -day basis with, within a sector. I mean, uh, just an example for you, I was at a small meetup of maybe 100 people, and we had one of the heads of states of, of the cantons just speaking uh, with attendees, trying to understand a little bit more about the technology, understand a little bit more about um, of what, what's going on at the present time. And that was, just, that was just amazing to see without even a special invitation, right? He came there because he believed it was his job to understand this uh, more and to be able to connect with individuals within this space. So I think, I think really that synergy between government and uh, enterprise is, is so important to embrace this change. Sheriff, I'm, I'm going to go back to a few basics. Why is explaining blockchain so difficult? <laughs> um, yeah, I asked myself that, that question as well. I, I think it's just because there are so many use cases and, and it's just not one, one specific uh, one. For example, blockchain can be applied to any and every single industry going from uh, travel to supply chain to the legal to investments, it's really everywhere and it's going to be integrated, in my opinion, everywhere. And, and that's why people are like, well, how can something be so polyvalent and, and, and be used everywhere? And, oh, I've seen it here and I've seen it there and it doesn't make sense to me. And I think, I think that's uh, the, the problem it faces is that it, it's such a 
underlying technology that is going to be applied in, in so many places, it's hard for people to pinpoint it down. And, and if you were to explain blockchain, how would you do that? Well, if everybody knows what Lego is, the little bricks that you used to uh, play with a as a kid, blockchain is very similar to Legos, um, whereby if you have one Lego and you put another one on top of another and another on top of another, it creates block and a chain of blocks, blockchain. And that's very simply what blockchain uh, technology is. So the blocks represent data, and then each 10 minutes within Bitcoin's blockchain, they each fit on top of each other. And then the characteristics of blockchain come in, whereby if you have imagining three uh, blocks of, of Lego put together, you're not going to be able to just pull out the middle block, right? So that make, makes it immutable. If you're playing with Lego, you can see which Lego is in what space. So that's the transparency element. And then the decentralization part uh, comes in whereby nobody uh, is able to control from an outside body which Legos um, are, are going where. So I would really look at it as just blocks of data coming in with transparency and immutability. So I think... Uh what it conveys is that it is like an infinite Lego. Yes, <laughs> which, yeah. which, which you can go back to the first Lego that you built with, right? From the first one to, to the last one or the current one, you can see the whole structure. With a longer chain, a, a longer block by block um, of these Legos, it, you're able to gain a, a trust because depending on the system that you're using, be it proof of work or uh, proof of stake, these protocols that make the um, blockchain function uh, within a proof of work um, system, the longer the chain is, the more the blockchain has been operated, the more trust there is uh, within that. Right. So for any transaction then to happen, there would probably be a cryptographic puzzle. Exactly. So let's put it this way. Every Lego um, underneath the Lego is, are, are, is a certain puzzle, right? Um, some holes, some different elements sticking out, and you essentially have to find which Lego piece fits on the top of the, the, the next piece. And then you try different Legos and, oh, okay, one fits, and then you add it on. And so multiple people around the world have different Lego pieces in front of them, and they're all simultaneously trying to put uh, the Lego blocks on and the first one to be able to put it on wins that, that block structure and is able to move on to the next one. So when you say that he wins that block structure, what does that mean? So that person then is rewarded with the cryptocurrency in, in, in question, which means that they have performed certain, a certain task, right? So that person has made the appropriate uh, amount of calculations and has found the right uh, calculation to fit to fit the block and then they are rewarded for for doing so so these are the systems or the persons who are known as the miners exactly yes exactly okay this puzzle now starts making a little bit more clarity to me <laughs> let's hear it yeah and how does the concept of decentralization and distribution across a large uh, network come in? 
Great. So um, if, if we take it back to, to the modern uh, way of seeing things, which is a, a very centralized approach, um, there, there is an intermediary, right? If there's a transaction that goes through, for example, your bank, if I want to send you some money, um, it's going to go through a, an intermediary, right? The bank. So I'm going to send it either to the bank and then the bank will send it to yourself. It doesn't go straight um, to you. So within a, a decentralized uh, approach, there is no central entity that is controlling the flow, uh, the, the movement of, of, of this data. So I'm able to directly send it to you without interference, which means if the central body um, goes down, for example, the bank, well, then I'm no longer able to uh, transact with you because the intermediary is down, which is completely different within a decentralized technology like blockchain, whereby there can still be other players uh, that go down, uh, but we can still transact between each other. For example, if America decides tomorrow, okay, we're banning all cryptocurrency use, where we don't believe in blockchain anymore, uh, etc. We would still be able to transact with each other where, wherever we are in the world. It's not because one uh, player within the market decides, okay, we're shutting down. So decentralization really means that we're free from intermediaries and it's direct from me to you. Right. And what would this mean? Let us say in a world which is completely permeated by blockchain, what would the role of banks be reduced to? Yeah, it's an interesting one because we've seen um, over the past couple of months the, the word DeFi come up a lot, which is decentralized finance, whereby you're able to actually take loans without the, the, the need of a bank and you're able to do so by essentially somebody saying, okay, I, I will lend you my cryptocurrency uh, and you will give me an interest on that. And this happens in a decentralized way, DeFi, whereby there's no intermediary like a bank giving the loan to, to someone, right? Because banks operate in a way whereby they take uh, some money from you, they hold it in a safe storage, and then they give it out to other people for interest. So the role of banks, I think, will change significantly. I think there is an element of trust uh, with, with, within the banks that some people will still have to, to some regard. But for me, I believe much more in the math side of things than, than within the banks. Because at the end of the day, if I'm, I'm going to put money into a bank, um, they have control over it, right? If they want to take this money and invest in some unethical investment vehicles, that's up to them. And even if they were to go um, bankrupt and they were to, to lose my money, it's still troublesome to, to know that they, they're able to do whatever they want with my money. And if something bad happens, I, I'd have no entitlement to my hard-earned uh, money. Banks are trusted institutions and they help mm -hmm. a transaction to happen. So any trusted institutions, trusted firms or trusted individuals which are making a transaction happen between two or more parties will get eliminated if blockchain is adopted. I think that there still needs to be an overarching entity that is controlling things, making sure everything is going well. And that's why we've seen uh, firms that are operating decentralized finance platforms and, and other use cases whereby you still need to have a nice user interface, right? You, you probably still need to have some clerks, some customer service, 
people explain to you what's happening, have a gateway to perform these transactions. So that can be in the form of, of a new banking uh, system. But I think we've, we've seen the rise of a lot of e-banks within Europe and, uh, and globally as well, right? With Revolut, Monzo and others com coming about with a traditional banking system of, of going to your bank, lining up in a queue, going to get your deposits and, and etc. Is, is something of the past, especially in a COVID-19 world where you don't want to be going out of your house unnecessarily, I think a lot of digital applications will come into play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For you individually, and maybe some of the people whom you know who are big on blockchain and have a lot of faith in crypto, how do you keep your savings? I, I personally, uh, of course, still, still operate uh, with some banks as um, cryptocurrencies aren't accepted everywhere, but there, there are some great. Um, use cases within that whereby I have uh, my cryptocurrencies, my Bitcoins, etc. But I also have different cards, Monaco, which is crypto.com now, uh, Wirex as well, which is essentially a, a debit card that you're able to top up with your cryptocurrencies and then pay with it, which is a great um, use case because you can actually use this in real life now. Uh, and I don't have to rely on anyone else holding my money. I can hold my cryptocurrency in my private wallet where it's secured safe and then if i want to make a purchase i can top up my card directly with cryptocurrencies and then pay within a, a fiat gateway so that's that's how i hold most of my assets and and i think that's great right being able to hold your cash let's say but it's it's not cash because if it was cash you would hide it maybe under your bed or in a safe it's just digital cash that I can hold online within my own wallet, which I only have access to and I know is, is secure. Is it fair to say that any cryptocurrency would only have so much of currency? In terms of supply, right? Um, yes. I think, I think that's, it's a great point um, you raise. Uh, for example, Bitcoin has only 21 million bitcoins uh, that will ever be uh, created we're just over the 18 million mark at the moment right um, but i think i think it's, it's a fundamental part of, of the cryptocurrency uh, structure whereby you as an investor you know that there is no overarching entity that is going to be creating more of this of this unit of this currency uh, whereby we're seeing actually at the moment that there being uh, so many more uh, dollars created and and how how can you, you trust the system whereby within the blink of an eye they're able to create uh, millions and, and billions of worth just by clicking clicking their fingers um, and and here you know okay if, if, if I have one Bitcoin that's not going to be diluted it's not going to be diluted by any entity there are a maximum of 21 million and I own one of them so that value isn't going to depreciate uh, over time so it actually appreciates instead of depreciates over time which is a great functionality so so would that be universal for any kind of cryptocurrency that there would be a limited supply only so not for everyone it, it depends on the structure and, and the supply of of the cryptocurrency has been determined there are some that appreciate and depreciate 
the stablecoin uh, ones like the USDT, which simulates the US dollar just in a, in a cryptocurrency format to help transact within the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Um, and for that one, for example, depending on supply and demand, they increase or decrease uh, supply based on the amount of this cryptocurrency that is needed within the market. However, um, since it's pegged to the dollar, so $1 equals one USDT, um, there is no fluctuation in price and the, the supply of that is only based on, on, on the demand. And what if the what if the success behind Bitcoin? Because as far as I understand, there is no other cryptocurrency which has even got half the level of where Bitcoin is today. Yes, it's, it's very true. Um, and so it was the first one, right? So it's uh, it's leading as well due to the fact that it's it's the first. But also, it has no. CEO. It has no president, it has no boss or somebody controlling it. And that is very fundamental in a decentralized system whereby with Bitcoin, it is just the ecosystem that is operating it. And you, you know that nobody is going to be able to change the terms of that. Everything is, is coded within the system and it's, it's going to stay that way. And I, I would believe that that is really uh, one of the reasons why, because it operates sort of like a, a commodity uh, like gold where you know, okay, that there's a limited supply here. It's the supply is not going to go up. It has value because of the transactional ability that I can send uh, a unit here across border wherever I want to. And just the fundamentals um, of it make it hard to replicate over 10 years of, of, of use and, and no uh, overarching body. So why didn't someone else create a similar model like Bitcoin, not having anything but a computer ecosystem, having limited supply? Why didn't anyone else create something like this? Um, some people have tried, right? But, but I think when, when you try to create something that has become so organic, it becomes unorganic and, 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 and then it, it becomes something that that is the contrary of what you've been trying to create i mean there has been the arrival of bitcoin cash um which tried to try to replicate what bitcoin is just in a cash system whereby bitcoin is seen as digital gold so it's an investment opportunity you hold it and you you see that rising within the future and okay it, it, it has value and it has a lot of value at, at the present time and some people are like okay well we we saw Bitcoin being more of digital cash, whereby Bitcoin should be used on a day-to-day -day basis to transact, to buy groceries, to buy whatever we, we might need. And, and we saw with the rise in 2017, 2018, that that became quite hard because of, of, of the block sizes. With the arrival of, of Bitcoin Cash, which was a fork um, of Bitcoins, so they took exactly the same uh, code base of, of Bitcoin and just uh, replicated that and changed uh, the block size to enable there to be more transactions happening and this was just this was one person that decided to do that so now there is a a, a ceo in inverted commas of bitcoin cash and, and having somebody that has control over the network like that it, it takes away uh, from the credibility um, of it there's a lot of belief and a lot of faith in, in Bitcoin Cash and some very reputable 
the names within the space believe that, that that's it's it's going to uh, be a driving force. However, I'm I'm still a little bit um, skeptical um, about that part. But there are people that have tried. But it, it it's one of those things where only time will tell. Shiraz, uh, there are some leading tech thinkers, particularly from the US, like Paul Graham and uh, Chamath Balaji Srinivasan and Anthony Pompliano. I mean, they are so gung-ho about Bitcoin. I think, you know, someone asked them a question. I don't know to whom it was specifically, that how do you short a government? Mm-hmm. And one of them, I think it was Paul Graham who replied back on the tweet saying, buy Bitcoin. So if you want to short the government, <laughs> buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yes, it's an alternative to the system that's in, in, in place now, whereby currency as we know it today, the US dollar, the euro, is very much uh, politically backed. It is backed by a government and you're buying into their infrastructure and their system. With cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically, you're buying into a calculated system of, of coding and math. And this is a new revolution, a new era whereby you don't have to jump into a, a, a political system with all maybe the the negative uh, sides sides of that and some of the negative things that they, they might be doing and say, okay, well, I, I trust math a little bit more than, than what these people are doing. And, and there are some very, very power hungry people in, in, in the world that are manipulating currencies that are doing some very bad things. And you maybe a citizen of, of that country have, have no choice, but now you do have a choice. And, and this is an alternative that you can say, okay, well, I, I trust math. I, I, I will go with this, this coding system that, that is operating in a decentralized way, in an immutable way, in a transparent way where I can see everything that's happening. And I know that I'm going to be uh, safe with it. And I think there are some issues within that even as well, because when you're trusting a, a math-based system, there is a lot of responsibility within that. And well, with great power comes great responsibility, whereby you have ownership of your assets and, and, and your currency. So if you, for example, wake up a little bit dazed in the morning and you're like, oh, okay, I need to send a transaction to this person. They, I, I, I owe them um, some money. I need to do this. And you, instead of sending 100 units, you type a few times on the zero and you make a mistake. You could end up sending them much more than you initially anticipated. And then there is no overarching body that is going to be like, oh, you made a mistake. Oh, no worries. We will revert this transaction for you. That does not exist. And the same with if, if you were to um, make a mistake in who you're sending it to, there's nobody that's going to be like, oh, okay, we'll just send it back for you. It's, it's, it's very much your responsibility. And, and, and that's one of the uh, the downfalls or the positivities of it is if you want a system that is trustless, well, then you need to be able to trust in, in, in yourself. And, and there are consequences to that. Yes, that's a good example. You are involved with a lot of startups. Katerina, which is doing medical software. Jure, which is a legal tech startup. There is Yoke Network. And there is your role with the Crypto Valley Association. All of them have you in common. And all of them have blockchain in common. So how are these startups using blockchain 
to do what they are doing? What is their vision with what they are doing with the application of blockchain? Yeah, I mean, starting with Jura, right? They, they're creating a, a, an ecosystem with legal players, right? And, and, and this just shows another use case of blockchain technology that is apart uh, from currency, whereby um, dispute resolution has become a, a problem. And, and, and even within the, the current coronavirus times, if you were uh, to have a, a contractual issue uh, with your employer, for example, and you were uh, to go to court, some of the courts were closed, some of the um, judges were not turning up, these whole processes were, were very much uh, delayed. If you're able to do this on, online, uh, juries essentially solving this issue with you being able to achieve this within, within a couple of days. So legal dispute resolution um, online with a consortium of lawyers and legal, legal advisors coming to terms with, with the decision that is legally binding online. Uh, and and I, th I think that's that, that, that's a great use case, which is which is completely um, out of the blue from what you'd imagine. Oh, a cryptocurrency has to be a currency like uh, like Bitcoin, like uh, the US dollar. And then, well, one one of my favorite ones is, is the digitalization um, of assets, where whereby I'm supporting Equisafe at the moment within Paris, who are are, are taking an, an an asset and enabling you to, to buy into a percentage of this. And I think that's, that's amazing, being able to buy a, a, a percentage of an asset anywhere around the world. I mean, I would love to own, to own uh, a little bit of the Mona Lisa, for example. Uh, that, would, <laughs> that, 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 that would be great. And um, they, they're also enabling a new means of fundraising, right? Where, whereby um, for you, if you want to sell your apartment, it might be harder to find uh, one person that wants to buy it for for a million um, dollars. But if you can find multiple people with smaller incomes to do so, then it's a faster process for you and you're able to, to give away wealth to, to other people as well. So that's a great use case as well. And, and then I have multiple friends with, within the, the ecosystem doing great things on, on different side within supply chain. For example, uh, in Finny chains, I was just speaking, uh, with, with their CEO the, the other day, Infinity Chains are disrupting the supply chain whereby you're able to track from A to Z where your uh, garment, where your T-shirt was created. So let's say I, I went to the shop, I, I, I see this T-shirt that I like, and I'm like, okay, hmm, how was that created? I think uh, many of us nowadays want to be more aware of, of where things are being uh, manufactured and, and how... Um, eco-friendly they were and, and, and if it was uh, totally totally green etc so they essentially have a QR code within this this t-shirt this garment and you're able to see exactly the travel the the, the whole course uh, of life where this has come from and you're able to even see down to the farmer of, of maybe in the cotton fields uh, what his story is where the specific cotton patch came from, um, and a little story about himself. So just through a QR code, you're able to see the A to Z of how it got to that store. And, and that's amazing, not only from a marketing perspective for, for the customer, but also for, for the company to be able to track everything that um, the, the, the whole process from, from A to Z. There was, a, there was an issue uh, within Chipotle uh, a, a Mexican uh, fast, fast food chain within the US where 
they had a, they had a problem whereby a, a lot of their customers were getting sick and and they, they didn't know why and they were like okay uh, what is this coming from and they couldn't determine which ingredient it was was it the tomatoes the the meat uh, the, the coriander whatever that might be and they ended up finding out a few months later okay it was it was some e coli in in the iceberg lettuce that was coming from a few regions um, somewhere around the world but they were unable to determine this so they had to shut down quite a few of their uh, restaurant chains uh, because they were like well if, if we can't determine this we can't legally leave our, um, our our restaurants open so if they would have been using blockchain technology they would have been able to track okay uh, there, there there is this 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 and this okay let's go all the way down let's let's follow up and they would have been able to find it in, in a much more efficient way so so I would say that overall all these use cases are just improving efficiency and which corporates do you know of Shiraz which are adopting blockchain quite aggressively well the the funniest one for me is uh, JP Morgan um, and you're probably aware of, of this to some extent but I, 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 will, I will give you the, the whole story which was uh, very funny to me um, where, whereby in, in 2017 Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan told all his employees Bitcoin is a scam cryptocurrencies are a scam I don't want anybody um, uh, buying Bitcoin or researching Bitcoin and if you do so and if I catch you doing so I'm going to fire you on the spot and that's that was quite a, a, a shocking uh, shocking statement and it, um, it was eye-opening to a lot of people and scared a lot of people. It impacted the market severely. I remember the market was down 30% on, on that day because it was, Jamie Dimon is quite a reputable figure um, within, within the financial industry. And, and yeah, it scared, it scared a lot of people. And, and I'm sure it scared the employees as well, right? But imagine you're just doing some research on, on, on an asset class and, and and you're, you're going to be fired from your job for just doing some research, uh, even not buying it, right? And then, funny enough, two days later, after this big statement came out, we, we found out that JP Morgan ended up buying a, a few million uh, Bitcoin contracts on, on the Swedish stock exchange, not the, the actual Bitcoins, but contracts. So after saying, okay, this is a total sham, they ended up buying some later and buying the dip, essentially the 30% dip. And, and then it, it went up exponentially uh, from that point. And then even more so, not even a year after that statement uh, was, was released, JP Morgan said, okay, we want to now be uh, the bank uh, of crypto. And they even said that they're going to be creating their own cryptocurrency called the JPM uh, coin, where, which is going to be used to interact within their ecosystem internally within their customers and clients. And, and I even had uh, the, the, the good fortune of meeting Jamie Dimon at the, at the World Economic Forum. And uh, when I asked him what his thoughts on Bitcoin was, he wasn't uh, too, too happy with my question and walked away. So I think it's very funny whereby... There, there is some level of disbelief. People don't necessarily want to accept the, the innovation that, that, that is coming about. And I think within the next couple of years, all these people that we saw that were uh, a bit negative or skeptical about this industry and, and this technology will all come to terms with it. And I think we, we do fundamentally need to be careful of 
who is asking us what type of questions and who is answering what. I think it wasn't necessarily in Jamie Dimon's best interest to say, yes, yes, go and invest uh, in, in Bitcoin now if he himself wants to be developing in the backgrounds, the technology, and then once his uh, platform and, and, and he's got his mind over exactly how he wants to um, use this technology, then to push it. And it's the same with Warren Buffett, right? The famous investor who calls Bitcoin rat poison. If, if he were to say, okay, I'm buying Bitcoin uh, today, he might not be able to get it at the price that he wants. So it's, it's always interesting to, to, uh, to actually just look at the, the background dynamics. Okay, who is telling me what and what is their best interest at the current point in time? Yeah, that's interesting. And, and what is the status today with the Facebook crypto? With Libra. So I think it, it, it was a very big re revealment that they had uh, a few years ago, right? Like, oh, Libra project is coming out and uh, you can send currency as, as easy as it is to send a picture on, on Facebook or WhatsApp. And I think that was eye-opening to a lot of people. They were like, wow, okay, that's, that's a great, uh, great, great use case. Um, and I think it shocked a lot of, uh, a lot of governments because they were like, well, you can't, you can't replace us that easily. They came out with a big bang and they hadn't thought too much, I think, about their approach. They were like, okay, let's see how the market reacts to this. So they, they took their time after they had this big release to actually, okay, listen to the market, listen to the big industry leaders and, and, and stakeholders and governments as well and, and say, okay, how can we actually make this work? Because at that current point in time, it was like, okay, we're going to be the, the world, the, the global uh, currency. And, and, and now they've down, down, downsized that a little bit and they brought out a, a, a Libra 2.0 a few months ago and it's advancing and i'm sure that it, it will be coming out uh, soon and that it, it it will change the the perception of cryptocurrencies whereby if, if you can easily send a, send a currency uh send send a unit uh with within your, your mobile phone and everybody that i uh, personally know has either facebook whatsapp or instagram being able to send uh, money to someone that easily is definitely going to be uh, a, a lifesaver to me and, and, and to a lot of people. And not only to, let's say, us within the Western societies that we have a bank account and, and transactions aren't too, too complicated, there are still 2 billion people around the world that are left unbanked. And for them to be able to do this directly via their, their phone without necessarily having a bank account will be awesome for, for them as well. Yeah, I think the, the people who do not have bank accounts, that's a great opportunity. On one side, we can look at it as an opportunity for banks, but I think on the other side, there is a great opportunity for not to go to banks. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I mean, you trust uh, Facebook already with, with your data and a lot of other stuff, so why not your financial side as, as well? And that way you can interact with everything in sync. Sharaf, what is the Crypto Valley Association? I was quite intrigued, actually. I don't know if such kind of associations exist in other parts of the world or other mm -hmm. countries. What's the objective of this association? And what are some of the success stories which have emerged or are emerging from this association? Um, yeah, definitely. So we're a non-profit association and we're a community that has for objective to drive growth and collaboration within this ecosystem. So 
there are many members within the association that are just actively there to support and, and, and drive it forward. And, and I think that that's a great type of energy to it when it's so non-financial in terms of not many of, of the members of the association are, are being uh, remunerated and they are there because they believe in this ecosystem and the, the most reputable association within the space and being Swiss as well allows us to have a very non-biased uh, approach on, on different elements. And I think that's what's great. And, and that's the value that our, our, our members see in it, being individual members or corporate members, that we're able to connect them with the appropriate people without being biased. So we will openly say, okay, there's this stakeholder, there's this person, entity that you can use, but we will not be pushing one over the other. Uh, and I think that's what you find a lot within any space is the person that is trying to educate you is also trying to sell you something as, as well. And uh, this is uh, different whereby our, our main objective really is to just help you grow, help you learn, help you understand and be able to have the tools to be well equipped to, to make the decisions for yourself, meet the appropriate people as well. So I think that there definitely is a need for this type of association within this industry and the, the others out there whereby you can just, you, you can rely, you can trust on, on an entity to really help you uh, grow and move forward. And I think when, when we talk about success stories, I, I could tell you about some of the firms that, that joined the Crypto Valley Association and that were very well connected. And from that, they were able to grow their sales and revenues. But I, I, I would say our, our main success story is the educational side. And, and that even with the whole coronavirus situation, we were able to connect over 50 different countries with each other. We, we've held uh, online webinars and, and, and online conferences where people have been able to network between each other. Even if it's not in person, they've still been able to network online and, and connect with each other and, and learn in, in, in a cross-border uh, way and interact interact with each other. So that, that the biggest success story for us is the education within the space that we're seeing and, and the amount um, of, of growth the ecosystem as a whole is. And Shiraz, how do you think leadership from government, from bureaucracy, from the corporate world will need to adapt or need to change with blockchain? With the Swiss government, I think it's important for them to be heavily in, involved within it, but not impeding on its development, right? There, there's a fine line between innovation and, and, and controlling it. So I think it's very, it's very important for the government to, to support as much as they can this, this innovation and, and this space and, and to help startups to grow and to understand, okay, what, what can this technology do? And what can it also do for us? Technology can help a lot uh, within the governance infrastructure um, as well, whereby the, the recording of data for them uh, is, is very important when it comes to voting as well, right? If you have votes operated uh, on blockchain technology, you'd be able to uh, see very in a transparent way or all of them uh, in, in an open open system. There, there is no lying uh, or, or cheating or even corruption that can happen from that point. And I, I, I think it's it's, it's about educating them as well, because the, the cryptocurrencies and blockchain is, is, quite, is, is quite young, right? I mean, when you say that cryptocurrencies first came into play just over 10 years ago, that's not a long time. So 
if we're able to give them the right level of education to understand what this technology can bring can bring to them we will see it further being adopted and, and i can just tell you from personal experience that there are many many governments that are looking much closer into this and and we will see it being adopted in in a very very wide front in, in the near future i think that there will be certain areas like financial regulation consumer protection taxation or data privacy where we will need an active involvement of the government in realizing those policies. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's important, right? The whole, whole taxation uh, element is important. And with blockchain technology, taxation becomes so much uh, easier because there's no way to cheat the blockchain. I mean, if I'm going to send you uh, some units of currency, anybody can see that. I mean, okay, anybody can see that in a coded way, so they won't know it's from me to you. But for example, if the government were to issue private wallets to each one of their citizens and say, okay, this is your government-issued wallet, they can contact any employers, make sure everything is, is, is operating from this wallet, have that key that is then anonymous, and then they would be able to operate everything, everything through that. And you can also transparently see where we're all where all, all the money is coming from. So when it comes to, let's say, money laundering or falsifying of, of currencies, it, it just won't, won't exist anymore. Exactly. I think it would be an interesting exercise that if the entire world moves on to this, the mm-hmm. amount of paper and metal we are going to save in printing currency and making coins, it's going to be humongous. Oh, yes, very, very much so. Definitely environmental friendly. Yes, <laughs> and, and, and which is a great way forward, right? And I, I think there, there's also that element that people discuss whereby, oh, Bitcoin is using a lot of energy and it's killing the planet. And we should, there are studies that have proven that within Bitcoin specifically, um, over 76% of the energy that is used is, be, is renewable, right? So it's a very, very fascinating way to see, okay, well, there, there, if, if we're able to move forward in an environmentally friendly way that, that is transparent, uh, as well, it's it's two birds uh, with one stone, and and I, I would just add an element uh, to that, whereby the whole banking system at the moment takes a lot of energy as well. You know, having these ATMs on all the time, actually printing the money, having people within the banks there, the lights on, and all this energy that is being consumed is enormous, uh, enormous as well. I think the the most important part within cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology is just not being afraid of it in, in terms of everybody's like, wow, this is, it's, it's so techy and oh, I'm never going to understand any of it. But as soon as you dive in, into it a little bit more, you're really able to see the, the innovation that it has and, and, and some of the beauty of it. And everybody has their hobbies and and what they love to do and the industries that they're in. And I think blockchain technology is going to come as, as an add-on to all of these. A hundred percent sure. And it, the undeniable truth is that, that we're going to be using uh, blockchain technology uh, within the future, whether we know it or not. I mean, there are some uh, technologies like, let's say, contact payments, right? It's quite cool, right? Being able to pay for your groceries or for your, your restaurant bill just by, by tapping your credit card. 
you might not know how that works, but it, it's it's it, it's it's a nice to have, and and I think there there will be some nice to haves that will be operated by by a blockchain that you'll be like, oh wow, this is cool, but you won't know that that's a blockchain technology. So it's definitely coming along, and, and being able to understand this a little bit more, you might see something and an opportunity for yourself to grow within this space and and be ahead of the curve because I think it's it's developing, it's developing a lot in the shadows. All of the major companies. In, in the world are, are looking into it and either developing something on there. So if you're able to, to step up, understand it before a lot of individuals you can seize this opportunity as it rises. That just reminds me of uh, this example, which I heard from someone saying that you don't any longer know what the internet is. You just use it now. Yes. I think you're not here to just, let's say, destroy and, and, and replace everything with blockchain technology and, and nothing you're going to see today is going to be what's going, what it's going to be like tomorrow with blockchain technology. I think it's, it's going to be uh, a, a, a tool, a supportive tool for, for a lot of industries, and, and it's really going to drive them forward. And Shiraz, whether a corporate leader or a bureaucrat or a government leader, what should be the attributes of a leader for being able to think more openly towards futuristic technologies? I believe it's, it's difficult to lead or to drive something that you don't understand personally yourself. And I think in a professional environment, if you're managing a team and you're trying to be a leader, it's important for you to understand what you're trying to push and also the people that, that you're trying to motivate to follow this path um, with you. So I think a key attribute for a leader is an educational side to be able to motivate your team and so that from the understanding of new technologies and openness to learn and you can do so much more together. I think my final question to you today is what kind of resources you could suggest to the listeners to get more educated about blockchain and crypto? There are many out there, and I think that's uh, that's a bit troublesome with, within this uh, industry as well, that there are so many who do you trust. And there are some people saying uh, different things to others. So I think, as I stated before, being able to uh, join uh, an, an association, for example, the Crypto Valley Association, that is a non-profit, non-biased, that is not going to be uh, selling you anything is important. There are YouTubers online. There is Twitter. Twitter is very much used within within the crypto space, and I think it's it, it's a great resource because it's opinion based, and so you can read opinions from ten people on the same subject, and within those opinions, you can determine your own. And not just having one, one overarching entity that is saying, okay, this is the truth, and this is the only truth. And uh, your Twitter handle for the association is the Crypto Valley. Yes. So okay. I'm just subscribing to that now. <laughs> I'm following. Awesome. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> well, great, Shiraz. It was a pleasure speaking to you. I think for me, it was important to do this podcast because I generally find when I'm talking to people over here, particularly in tier two and tier three cities, there is very little knowledge of blockchain and crypto. And I hope that, you know, with this podcast, we can start making a dent in that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I'm, I'm happy to, to support anybody that, that might have 
any further questions via LinkedIn or, or via an, an, another medium. I think that the great part of this industry is the openness um, within it and everybody wants to, wants to help. Everybody has a true belief in blockchain and the whole ecosystem. They just want to help others understand that and see what they see. So there's a lot of support within the industry, a lot of helping hands. So yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to anyone and even myself. And there will be a lot of people that will be there. Well, thank you so much, Sharaf, for being with us today. Thank you very much once again. Thank you.